Grab your dice, kids. We're exploring a new frontier in audio fiction, collaborative storytelling as created through role-playing games. Join me for an accessible, exciting, and engrossing adventure as we join the party, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. In the midst of this podcast fiction explosion, one form has stood apart in recent years as it's developed, the actual play podcast. This podcast format is as old as podcasting itself, and it originated as a kind of fly-on-the-wall impulse. Wouldn't you like to be witness to your favorite nerd culture figures playing a role-playing game, a guest in their living room? For some folks, the answer to that question was, hell yeah, but these earlier podcasts were unedited chunks of procedure, rules lawyering, and could be founts of the untrammeled misogyny, homophobia, and racism that can frequently infect mostly white, mostly male nerd spaces. The McElroy podcasting family from West Virginia reversed this trend with a tightly produced, open-hearted, and excellent role-playing podcast called The Adventure Zone, and its success helped popularize a new genre of RPG-enabled fiction. It's not a traditional actual play podcast. You're not hearing every single die roll, every rustle of the rulebook as players tussle with the game master. There's dynamic musical scoring, maybe even some sound design at crucial moments. In this style of podcast, there's an expectation that the players are maybe performing a little bit for the audience, redoing a line here or there when necessary. It's not fully in a performative register, necessarily, but it begins to resemble a piece of devised theater, something improvised by the company, together. Today's episode is from a wonderful show called Join the Party, by a gang of lovable ruffians out of New York. The DM, or Dungeon Master, is Eric Silver. If you've never played an RPG before, Eric's job is to play all the background characters, to portray the setting, and to give the rudiments of the plot to the other players, who are the protagonists in Eric's story. But really, it's everyone's story. Inara, played by Amanda McLaughlin of the Fantabulous Spirits podcast, is an elvish teen and sneak thief. Johnny B. Goodlight is a heretical magic user who's kind of at the forefront of a new light-based faith. He's played by audio producer Michael Fischet. Brandon Grugel, who sound designs and composes the music for the show, as well as several others, plays Tracy, a mechanical being with a mysterious past. I wanted to posit you right in the middle of the first story arc of Join the Party, which is called Wedding Party. Inara, Johnny, and Tracy have just stopped an insurgent gang of anarchists, the Red Throats, from ruining the royal wedding of princes Alonzo Kiko and Greg Nectaria. But Alonzo has just been snatched from the market by still more Red Throats, and the party is going to have to do everything it can to rescue him. One of the things I love about this podcast is the way that Eric isn't content to stick with the standard array of rules for Dungeons & Dragons. Right off the bat, you're going to see him inventing new mechanics to keep the gameplay and storytelling fresh and dynamic. Throughout it all, listen for who's got the ball, narratively speaking. The players trade narrative momentum with Eric the DM to see who gets to control the show, and all of that is mediated by the success or failure of dice rolls. So, let me get out of the way. Enjoy this episode and have a very happy flip day. Welcome to Join the Party. Last time on Join the Party. With the baddies vanquished. Take that, Shadow. Try to come back here again. No, you can't. 
our heroes finally get a chance to breathe. Just kidding, they're part of a sneaky heist. They smuggle out Alonzo. We're gonna put some, like, pigment on his face to make him look more like James. And tell Nessie not to wait up. I close the door to ensure that Nessie can't get out and cast light on your nose. Oh, that's great, thank you. What a lovely day in the market until the Red Throats kidnap the disguised prince and try to ride off. It's too fast, too furious, too fantasy. Let's get the party started. Here is how we're going to run this chase scene. We have two sides. The chasers, that's you, and the runners, who are the Red Throat Gang. With the head start that the centaur and the two halflings got, they're about 100 feet away. I've broken down the chase into a certain number of legs, which is a secret, and I'm not going to tell you. So if you reduce the gap to zero before the end of the chase, before all the legs are up, the runners are caught and the chase ends. You saved Alonzo. Otherwise, the runners escape and you have a kidnapped prince on your hands. Now, here's how the chase is going to work in terms of gameplay. At the start of each leg, one of you is going to represent your team. And we're going to go around in a circle so that everyone gets a shot. Uh, I'm going to pick one of the red throats, so one of the two halflings or the centaur. The two characters that get chosen are going to have an athletics contest. You're both going to roll your strength plus your athletics modifier. Whoever wins the check will widen or close the gap by your speed, so 25 feet. Then I'm going to roll on this handy-dandy chase event table. If you rolled an odd result on your check, the event happens to your team. If you rolled an even result, the other side will be hit with whatever happens because of the table. Now this can be positive or negative, so who knows, it's all going to be crazy. Don't worry, I'm going to keep track of the chase mechanics. Just focus on what gets thrown at you. You got it? The centaur is running away. How do you all react? Tracy is going to just dash as fast as he can after him without regard to his uh, teammates. Inara looks up at these covered market stalls and realizes that this is her moment and I am going to run across this market, Jason Bourne style, across the tops of these market stalls. But first, uh, I want to turn on Tracy's rage mode. So do I get him quick enough or do I have to throw something? Mm, I would say you have to throw something if Tracy's going without any regard. So what are you grabbing on your bag? Uh, I have a bag of ball bearings in my pack because I'm a tricky little teen. Because uh, you, so, you skateboard. Of course I do. Yeah, there's ball Inara wears a involved. backwards baseball oh. hat. She's a fantasy teen skate punk. Exactly. Anyway, I'm going to throw it at Tracy's rage switch. Okay, make a ranged attack. So six plus five, uh, 11. Yeah, you hit it. Uh, and I yell sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why don't you make a acrobatics check just to get up on the stalls? So that's a 13 plus 7 for a 20. To be clear, I want to follow the progress of the centaur as closely as I can so that I can drop down and, and grab James or something, some other cool trick. 
I like to imagine that like the imaginary camera that's like following all of you is now like going handheld and is following Anara. Oh yeah. And she just like free hands it up, like parkours it up on top of these things and then you just book it. What I actually do is use a handstand to spring my way. I like flip up onto the market roof uh, and and run like the flippy little rogue that I am across those narrow beams of the market stalls. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also there are people, the people below in the market are like, oh my God, who is that? Yeah. It's a spy, it's a spy. Tossing my hair over my shoulder and uh, trying to look pretty cool for the teens who will sing of this day. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're a teen folk hero? Oh my God. This is Inara's moment. Her entire life has led up to this. It's weird. Someone just invented Tumblr. Because you were, they were watching you run and tumble, and they were like, "Oh, what a great social media app!" They're gonna Tumblr. post eye-catching memes and and sing of my actions. Uh, actually, next week in the skate parks at Fidopolis, there's going to be a, a like contest to see if anyone can replicate my sick moves. I gotta make a roll for mythology to see if this happens. Gladly. Oh yeah, I rolled a 19. Yeah. Oh, that's canon. Yeah. You are, you are the myth, the flippin' teen. And this will be known as Flip Day, and forevermore. This will be a day <laughs> oh for, uh, for teens to take off of school. Johnny really cares about making sure Alonzo's safe, but he's not going to run. That's just <laughs> not going to happen. But what Johnny will do is cast Guiding Bolt. It's a flash of light streaking towards the creature of choice within range. Who are you hitting? The centaur. Okay, great. That's a 16. Oh, yeah, you got it. Yes. Yes. So what does that do? There's a few things that are, like, really important about what's about to happen. All rolls versus this target are going to have advantage until it's my turn again. And, best of all, the target has dim, glittering light all over their entire body. So this centaur just starts shining brightly. Awesome. Uh, The Book of Light is happy today. So that is a 16 plus, that's 20 <laughs> points of damage. You just aggressively attack this centaur. I okay. did. And the inaugural flip day was marked by a heinous and unpredicted, <laughs> unprovoked murder in the middle of Vidopolis Market Square. All right, let me look up centaur HP. <laughs> Give me a second. All right, the centaur takes 20 points of damage, and I'm going to actually bump down its speed. Its speed is nice. 50, and since you royally kicked its butt with light, I'm going to actually bump it down to 40. I would, this is a DM discretion, would press the digitation allow me to make my voice louder? Because it, it affects things like wind and music. Yes, yes, that's definitely true. Can you sing it? You can use the wind to, like, carry your voice. Right. Can you also sing it, please? I will sing. Johnny then bellows. On yonder centaur, on that glowing centaur, is Alonzo, the beloved of the city. Everyone go, help him, help him, high-five him, give him smooches, show him your love. (laughs) Into the market. I will give that if you pressed digitationed your voice and blew it up, I would say that they're definitely aware. Everyone knows there's a kidnapping happening. I'd love to see if I can spot any kind of loose horse or donkey around for me to ride, or even a large <laughs> mastiff uh, dog. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Uh, about 100 feet away, in the opposite direction, there's a pet store, and there's a plastic glass, and it actually says, Puppers Are Us, is the Great. name of it. Great. And there is a uh, someone in a big dog costume kind of spinning a sign. Johnny walks towards the pet store. Yeah. 
you press your face to the glass and like breathe heavily on it. And you actually see some like lizards scurrying around. Uh, you see some puppies kind of playing with each other. Aww. There's like a big cat tower. And then off to the left is a stable. And there are three different four-legged creatures in the stable. One is is a donkey. One is a horse. And the third one looks a little bit strange. It's like a camel. But the camel is wearing running shoes. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, and that's what you see when you put your face to the glass. So Johnny goes in. Are there any people around, or have they all been distracted by things? There's only one person, and there's one person behind the counter. I mean, let's get right to it. How much does the price tag say in front of this camel? <laughs> sure, okay. The How much is that camel? <laughs> the yeah. one with the super sweet kicks. <laughs> there's a sign kind of like above like the stable that those three are over. The donkey is 10 gold pieces. The horse is 50 gold pieces. And it says... Joe. It just says Joe. Oh, God. Okay. And it says Joe, 100 gold pieces. Johnny uh, meanders his way as if he's looking at other things and is not totally just trying to get Joe the camel to the shopkeep. My friend, I'm here to take a test drive of the camel. Would you like to join me? Hmm. Is a half orc, a large half orc man behind the counter, and he just kind of growls at you a little bit. He says, mm, I don't fit on Joe. <laughs> but I do not give out test rides, sir. This is not a charity where you can do test rides. <laughs> but how will I know if Joe's the right fit for me and my quietly cast prestidigitation on my gold pouch? So it sounds like there's a lot of gold in there. Oh, damn. Mm, Joe is right for everyone who can ride him. But how he has shoes. Have you ever seen a four-legged <laughs> animal with shoes before? Therefore, ergo, as you see, Joe is right for everyone. But is he right for me? I'd love to see. Are you everyone? Yes. Joe no, is I'm right only for you. One. I, you. Joe is right for everyone. I'll pay double the list price if I enjoy the test ride. Okay, make a persuasion. Eight plus seven, 15. So the orc man comes out from behind the desk, and he is holding the largest crossbow you have ever seen in your entire life. It is half the size of your body. And the half-orc man says, Hmm... A lot of gold seems like a good idea, but I'm going to watch you ride Joe. And he takes the reins of Joe, and now you are outside. He's actually holding this crossbow with one hand, which is very impressive. And he sets up outside. He's just kind of waiting there and with the crossbow locked on you. Actually, friend, seeing him in the light of day, I'm not quite sure this is the right shade of camel for me. But those shoes look spectacular. How much if I were to buy them off of you? Mm, those shoes only stay on camel. Joe is able to do sweet tricks with said shoes. That's why he is worth a lot. He is trick pony. Trick camel. Trick dromedary. 
three humps. And you notice Joe has three humps. <laughs> when you are riding on top of Joe and Joe goes full speed and you want to do some sweet acrobatics, you get advantage on acrobatics. Johnny climbs on Joe and starts walking him slowly, as if it was a normal test drive, in the direction of where uh, the chaos was happening. And he says, Hey, I'm just going to take him around the corner and around the block. How's that sound? Make another persuasion roll. Not great. That's only an 11. The storekeeper says, Let me follow you while you go that way. Let's say you're about 15 feet away, and he's kind of trailing a little bit behind you. Okay. He's trailing 15, 20 feet as the camel walks a little bit farther and around the corner. As Johnny turns the corner, he casts Dancing Lights to create a form of the camel and himself riding it, and then slaps the camel and attempts to go high speed out of the way. <laughs> and just goes. Oh, my God. Okay. The, <laughs> the half-orc kind of sees... The dancing lights go one way and kind of follows it for a second and then sees you speeding off the other way. And he fires off a crossbow bolt. And I'm going to say your combined AC mm -hmm. is, I'm going to do, what is it? I'm a 13. Yeah, the crossbow bolt, the largest you've ever seen, whizzes by you. Yes. And I want you to imagine it's like someone threw like a football past <laughs> your head and it just kind of like whizzes by you. And it spooks Joe so much that he starts running. He takes a sharp left and he dive bombs through an alley. You're running up and you come to a fence. And. Oh no. And Joe the camel. Jumps all the way up in the air, does a full somersault, oh and lands on his feet yes! and just keeps booking it. Yes! There was an urchin, like, standing below the fence and looks up and just, like, mouth agape. And all the child says is, sweet flip. <laughs> all right, you are off cool. and running. All right, I'm going to say that Anar and Tracy, since you guys had to do that stuff to go all Jason Bourne and flip your switch that you are about 75 feet behind the centaur, who is now a little bit stunned and glittery. Here's what's going to happen. You are going to do different checks against the runners, uh, which is the centaur and the two halflings. And we're going to see how far you either get closer or how far they go farther. Sounds great. Okay, so who is going to go first? I think Trace will go first because he's probably the closest to them. Sure. And the centaur is going to go first against you. Okay. We're going to do uh, athletics checks. Great. I rolled an 18. Uh, I got a 15. Okay, you're going to close the gap by 25 feet. You book it, and you throw some people out of the way, and you are 25 feet closer to the centaur that's galloping away. And as I'm throwing these people away, I'm like, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the centaur looks back and sees both of you gaining on him, and he then starts to try to weave into one of the stalls. And you see that there's... The store owner is trying to, like, giving, like, big jars of stuff to other people. And actually, as the centaur kind of, like, goes through, it startles the shop owner enough to drop the jar. And, like, you see a flurry of flame just kind of burst out of the jar. And, like, two big flaming hands go after the centaur. And <laughs> the centaur fails crit one. And the centaur... God, the centaur takes ten damage. Wow. 
This centaur is not looking good, and again, I'm going to drop its speed down a little bit as well, because it is having a hard time grabbing all these things while also now singed. And, like, you see, like, the two halflings are, like, covering up Alonzo as James and, like, protecting him from the fire. So the centaur is the only one that takes damage. All right, Anar, it's your turn. All right, trying to gain on this centaur. Yeah. That's an 11 plus 7 acrobatics for an 18. Oh, they, okay, they got a 17. And you may get another 25 feet closer. You are right on top of them. Awesome. The centaur uh, then, now that it's all like covered in flame, one of the halflings kind of grabs it by its own reins and then spurs it on, and it takes a hard right into an alley. I want to pursue it and use my flippy skills to try to jump across the market walkway to wherever they went. Yeah, okay. They uh, go into the alley. Tracy, are you following? So as I see them take a right, I'm, you know, barreling full speed ahead. So I uh, take my shield out real quickly from behind my back and, like, shove it into the ground and then kind of do, like, a spinny move. So I transfer all my momentum to running again after them. And do you leave a divot in the ground like a UFO just landed in the middle of this dirt floor? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I take my shield with me, but yes. Oh, yeah. No, of course. I love that. Uh, You come in through the alley, and just like there was a fence before, there's another fence, but this one is actually wooden. And uh, the halfling pulls a bow off of its back and fires an arrow that you've never, like, seen before. Like, there's something, like, glittering on top of the head, and it actually, like, surreptitiously, like, does something, like, under its robe. And that arrow is on fire. And it fires it right at the wooden fence, and that wooden fence starts to burn, and the centaur just, like, lowers its shoulder and busts its way through. Neat. You're still 25 feet away. Great. I rolled a 16. Uh, the halfling actually rolled a 17. Oh. And they get emboldened by how dope that last thing was. It actually goes 50 feet longer. You actually take a left and you wind your way back into the main market area. You see in front of you three dwarves are trying to pull an albino bison through, through the marketplace. And all three dwarves are trying to like push and pull the bison like in any sort of way and it is not moving at all and like you see these dudes like really trying to tug on this thing as you ride by the second halfling pulls out a recorder and plays something on it and all of a sudden the bison's eyes get really really big and it charges Tracy Okay, um, I think I'm going to pull a javelin out of my bag and try to pole vault over the albino bison. Why don't you make a strength saving throw? Uh, 17. (laughs) All right, yeah, you take the javelin and jab it into the ground and just launch yourself over this albino bison. You even actually, like, get a foot on top of it and you push yourself off. And although you don't gain any ground. You do save your footing. Can I pet him as I go by? Yeah, sure. Cool. <laughs> Tracy pets him. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, what's the status of any urchin children seeing this as well? There are actually two urchin children sitting next to each other sharing crackers, and they both say, nice. So in the mythology of this day, a few urchin children have seen Inara climb and flipping over uh, marketplace stalls and things. One saw Joe the Camel and Johnny B. Goodlight flipping over a yep. flipping over a fence, and now two more have seen another acrobatic feat of pole vaulting with a light caress petting of this albino bison. Already cool enough, this day is just spectacular. 
I like to think that none of these urchins are really going to believe each other, but yeah. like collectively, there's going to be this like, mythology of like, I saw this and I saw this, and you were there, and you were there, <laughs> and very like subtly and tentatively, they're going to like test out each other's boundaries and be like, wait, but and and I I saw this crazy, uh, no, I saw this crazy thing. I'm just seeing this as like Gertrude Stein's apartment in Paris, 1920, where like all all of the like urchin children are going to grow up to be like the bards of the next generation, inspired by this one improbable event that they saw on this day. We did it, guys. We inspired the newest generation. We're we heroes now. Yeah, the, the flipping generation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you keep running, and actually, you see the landscape start to change. You're getting farther away from the marketplace, and you're now kind of in an open area. And it's turning into, like, a botanical gardens, and there's, like, fountains and trees and, like, some bushes and people jumping around. Anara, why don't you make a acrobatics roll to see if you continue to parkour into this new terrain? It's my favorite kind of roll, gladly. Uh, 14 plus 7 for 21. Yeah, you continue to parkour. <laughs> you like can, ju- I, can I run on top of the bushes? Oh, yeah. So whenever there's, like, a hedge maze, you run on top of the bushes. You, like, jump to trees and trees. And, like, you actually get on top of, like, a few statues and, like, um, push off of them. May I please do a full body swing around a tree branch? Confirmed. (laughs) Confirmed. That's exactly what happened. Thank you. Are we getting closer to the castle? Are these, like, the castle grounds? Or are we getting further away from the castle? You're getting further away. Okay. Actually. You are now 50 feet away, and Anara, it is your turn. 17 plus 7 for 24. All right, you beat the dilapidated centaurs' strength, and Tracy and Anara are 25 feet closer, making you are 25 feet away. You are gaining on this thing. Anara, as you are jumping from statue to statue, you actually jump into a large grassy area. You're no longer, like, jumping. There's nothing to jump onto. I'll do some sweet rolls, though. Oh, sick rolls. <laughs> and you actually see, as you look around, you see a bunch of dogs around you. You've stumbled into a dog run in this area. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't think this thing could get me better, and then it just did. Inara loves pups. She uh, loves puppers. She's all, an enthusiast. All those puppers. As you are flipping through, you see all types of dogs that are just, like, jumping and, like, barking around you. Are they jealous of my moves and we're going to come follow me as their pack leader? <laughs> sure, yeah. Yes! <laughs> animal, yes! what do you do? Inara, do an animal handling. Eleven. Okay, you get some of them to follow you. Um, I only need the loyal ones. That's fine. <laughs> you get like two, like kind of like start running after you as you as you flip. Cute but before scrappy. You, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're very scrappy. <laughs> as you are um, running through, though, all of a sudden you see a puff of smoke, and the dumbest looking dog you've ever seen. It's like a French bulldog with the most smushed face appears in front of you. What? <laughs> And I want you to make a constitution saving throw. Well, it's a crit fail. Yeah, that dog knocks you over. It is, like, just standing on top of your face and just, like, licking you a little bit. And you are stunned, and you are no longer in the chase. Oh, I mean, that's what they say, folks, is all sweet flips must come to an end. And, yeah, you notice that this French bulldog actually has two boxing gloves hanging over its neck. Uh, Okay. And it's licking your face. Can I take them? Um, okay. Sleight of hand? Sure, sleight of hand from this pup. 15 plus 3 for an 18. Still got it. (laughs) So the dog is, like, on top of your face? Just gently, I'm just going to lift it off its neck and, like, put it behind my back into my pack. 
But the dog also realizes that there's no longer a weight over it. So you definitely pulled it off. But then it kind of realizes there's no longer that weight. And it starts barking at you a lot. Can I? Uh, Can I please instruct somehow my two new dog companions to distract that pug as I try to run back in the direction of this chase? Yeah, you could try to animal. Yeah, draw an animal handling. Eleven. Yeah, the dogs are definitely excited to have another dog in front of them and like trying to like play. I basically just want to run away as quickly as possible. And you book it without like yeah having a pack of dogs following me. Yeah, unless they're loyal. Yeah, you run away from the dogs and you hop over the bushes that are separating the two. As you are running and you're trying to sprint to regain the chase, all of a sudden, every like so often, you see that the dog in puffs of smoke reappears. It's like it gets like really close to you and it's like 10 feet away and then you're like you're still running because it has stubby little French bulldog legs and then it just does another puff of smoke and it comes back in another 10 feet away. It's continuing to chase you. Is it safe to assume that it's like tied to these boxing gloves? Like does an R put that together? I would say so. Yeah, that makes sense. We're going to go back to Trace Master over here. All right, you are now running through these like bushes and you are just kind of like pushing through and just trying to follow uh, as the centaur is galloping on top of it. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a camel comes back out of the scene yes! and is running through, <laughs> through right alongside you. And you look over, and Johnny V is holding onto the camel's neck, just hanging from the side. Tracy looks over to Johnny, and just like a little smirk comes over his face, and he just like winks at Johnny. Nice. All right, Johnny, you are now back in the chase. You are right next to Tracy. And I'm going to give you, since you're riding on a steed, uh, his strength is plus three and yours is negative one. So I'm going to give you plus one to all athletics rolls. Excellent. So you now against halfling number one. Yep, go ahead. That's an 18 plus one, 19. Yeah, you beat the halfling. (laughs) You rally Joe the camel who's galloping uh, alongside the centaur and you actually try to sidle up alongside the centaur. And you are right on its tail. You can, like, see Alonzo's beard floating in the breeze behind you. (laughs) And you can nearly touch it. And then, as you ride up alongside the centaur, you guys kind of hit, like, a little divot where, like, a flower bed is. And both Joe the Camel and the centaur stumble a little bit. And your pack kind of bounces up and opens up. And you see that your Cloak of the Eternal Guest is popping out of your pack. Why didn't you even make a dexterity saving throw? <laughs> Seven. Oh, no. It bounces out of your pack, and you reach back to try to grab it, and it slips through your fingers. Rest in peace. R.I.P., R.I.P. You are now sidled up alongside the centaur. What do you do? Johnny mutters the words that he said so many times to cast Shillelagh, which, insert words here. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? I didn't hear that. Insert, insert words, words here. Sorry? Are, is sorry? There- Insert words here. Is the spell for Shillelagh. <laughs> Cast Shillelagh on his quarterstaff and attempts to bonk the head of the centaur. Oh, yeah. You do <laughs> it. That's a humanoid head, bro. I'm going to say since you're right up on it, I'm going to give you success on it. What's the damage? It's a 1DA plus 6. Let me roll. That's a 10. <sighs> you are so mean to the centaur. Okay. He stole Lonzo. I think I'm allowed to do it. All right, you hit the centaur over the head, and just, like, you whack that thing. Enough that the centaur, like, shakes and, like, bucks enough and is just, like, out of it. And both of the halflings are holding on to its mane for dear life, and Alonzo falls off the back of the centaur. 
as Tracy sees Alonzo like sliding off the back of the centaur in bullet time, he just makes like a diving save to try to grab Alonzo. That would be, I guess, uh, an acrobatics check. Yeah, do it. Eleven. <laughs> please, ODM, please. You dive forward uh, as Alonzo bounces back off the centaur. Oh, he just lands right through your hands and lands in a mud puddle. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. And he's all covered in mud, and so are you because you're in the mud puddle. Oh, oh he no. I know he, he's all covered with mud now. <laughs> oh, jeez. The centaur continues on, and just like the halflings kind of both shake their fists at both of you, and you actually hear similar chanting, and even though it's a little far away, you hear like, Red Throat Gang, Red Throat Gang, and you can see them go through the rest of the gardens and into narrow streets on the other side and take a left, and they are out of view. I'd say that was quite a ride. <laughs> Who are you? Are you saying that to Joe the camel? I say that to them. Tracy. They're, they're, they're in the mud pile. Tracy has a great little belly laugh. He enjoyed that a lot. His wooden belly just goes up and down like a lever. As he laughs, I cast press the digitation on them to clean them uh, as they're standing in the mud puddle. It's like big window wipers. Yeah. So just like- yeah. Alonzo's hair looks like it's being blow dried as well. That's nice. So you've also wiped away the beard and whatever dwarf makeup you put on and the smell. Um, it's all wiped off and he's like shaking himself and Alonzo takes a deep breath and says, I am not having a good day. <laughs> there should be three of you. Correct. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I'm assuming you don't know those guys, but they're part of the Red Throat crew, right? Yeah, the Red Throat gang. Yeah, they don't they don't like me very much and it's a good thing they thought I was James or I would have I would have dealt with a much worse fate there. Uh, this is I'm not having a good day. Why did they want to kidnap James? I think uh, that's a good question. Um I think they just kind of want people who are surrounded by me, like people who are affiliated with the castle and with just the the Kiko name. They really just don't like anything royal, but you know James also he's he makes poisons. Like that's his job and the red throats love poisons. And they also love c- controlling animals and nature. What was the deal with that bison? That was crazy. I'll tell you, they poison a great day at the market. And exactly at that moment, Inara runs up, only slightly out of breath, and says, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> to Johnny's pun. And as you show up and you stop running, a puff of smoke appears to your left, and a little French bulldog is barking at you. And it's kind of like pawing at your side. Uh, guys, I've, I've had a bit of an afternoon. Anyone know about pugs that come with boxing gloves and just kind of, like, show up next to you intermittently? Uh, can I roll, like, an arcana check? That sounds like a right. lovely idea. Okay, I will roll an arcana. And I didn't get a chance to do that before, so I will as well. Twelve. Uh, 18 plus two for a 20. You recognize the puff of smoke now that you're no longer running. Yeah, I guess before I was just distracted by all the puppies around me. You had a lot going on. It's a blink dog. A blink dog has the ability to blink in and out of existence. It's just like a really nice pup, but it also has the ability to magically teleport itself and anything that it's carrying. 
it was unable to like catch up with you because of stubby little French bulldog legs. It was literally teleporting to keep up with you. And that is its ability. So I'm going to reach into my pack and bring out an oat cake and sort of crumble it and then kneel down and offer it to the dog to see if I can convince him or her or them to be my companion. That was adorable with the oat cake, so I'll give you advantage on an animal handling throw. Uh, my first roll is an 18 plus 1 for a 19, and then I got a nat 20. All right, the dog goes after the oats, like, really aggressively, and it jumps up, and for a moment, you realize that it's not going after your pack anymore, like it was before, but it actually kind of, like, likes you, and it goes up and licks your face. And I scritch under its chin and then behind its ears and say, Oh, dog, I'm, I'm glad you found me. Tracy is melting <laughs> in adorableness. <laughs> like an ice cream cone. He cannot handle this. Johnny wants to do something hopefully as adorable, but probably will end up in failure and tears with Joe the Camel. <laughs> okay, what, what are you doing? Wait, what are you going to so, do? So I take an apple from uh, my pack, from my food rations. Wait, Wait, have you had rations this whole time? You had snacks the whole time? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just realized that that doesn't make any sense. Slash, or I've always had rations. No, you've definitely always or had just, rations. I've always had rations. You've always had rations. In this moment been... of need, you you realize a need greater than yourself. No, I can explain. Uh, these it's called rations, lying. It's these, called being a liar. Th- right. These rations were just in case I actually got really hungry. Bro, you were so hungry that we jumped out of a castle window earlier, like an hour ago. When Tracy sees Johnny pull the apple out of his pack, Tracy just walks over and punches him in the arm, <laughs> like 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 friends do, but like also like in a way that says like, "Hey, not cool, bro." <laughs> I critically missed. <laughs> Tracy, when you swing at Johnny, you fall back into the mud puddle. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> so I'm going to roll for animal handling and this apple. It's an eight. <laughs> uh, you tried to give the apple to the camel, and Joe kind of puts its entire mouth over your head and most of your forearm. It just kind of, like, <laughs> gnaws on it. And, like, it hurts a little bit. But it's more like sandpaper is rubbing against your hand, and it is very unpleasant. Oh, there you go. Eat the whole thing. Leave a few digits for me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and Anara is just kneeling in the dirt, happily playing with the bulldog. Tracy is just, like, in the mud puddle, like, making, like, mud pies. Is, and, he, is uh, he making a mud angel? <laughs> he's, he did that already. Great. And then he's making <laughs> mud pies and, like, stacking them, like, assembly line styles. Like, you guys ready to eat? Oh. Alonzo kind of sighs very loudly and says, Today is a terrible day. As Johnny soothes the camel and removes his uh, half of his arm from the camel's mouth <laughs> and uh, uh, like shakes his arm to get rid of the, some of the saliva. Not going to cast Prestidige? Sometimes you got to do it the Sometimes old fashioned you gotta way. Do the, it's, like, it's like satisfying to feel the ooze and the saliva from the camel get, get off the. Reminds okay. you of the slimy caves of your youth. Oh, God. Okay. Alonzo, so where are we exactly? I've never actually been to this part of town. Uh, and Alonzo kind of looks around and <laughs> rubs his eyes. He says, um, yeah, we're, we're in the Fidopolis Botanical Gardens. We're like, a, we're pretty far past the market. 
um, I don't know, like north of more north of where we started. We're uh, we're we're far. We're, let's just say we're far. You know, Alonzo, you've had a rough day, and we just have a chance to celebrate now. How about we head back to the market, find your friend uh, Flint, uh, Diamond, uh, Cole. It was Cole. Cole. It was Cole. It was Cole. Yes, yeah. Cole. And we try to figure out more about that necklace, and maybe uh, you and I can talk about some of that little magic you were trying there. And maybe get some food. Inar has not forgotten that you've been carrying an apple this whole time. Alonzo shakes himself off one more time and looks down at the medallion. And the medallion has not moved since the last time you've seen it. And he's like, I th- well, this thing, yeah, this thing's a piece of junk is what it is, I guess. Uh, yeah, let's go, let's go see Cole. I guess well, let's go back the way we came. Alonzo leads you out of the gardens. And <laughs> this is a much different party than when you started. There's an old dad carrying a book, a teen doing flips on the ground, a robot covered in mud, a tiny French bulldog blinking in and out of existence, a camel who may or may not be smoking and wearing running shoes, and a prince who is really tired and just wants to go home. Nectaria. I need to see the prisoner. Which, um, which prisoner? My sister. I need to see my sister. Are you sure that's safe? She could be dangerous. <laughs> Don't worry about me. I know all of her moves. First a running tackle, and then three quick punches, and then right for the eyes. Or, at one time, she ripped out my earring. Right? Right? Gregina, who gagged her? She is near royalty. She did, to herself. That's the hem of her own dress stuffed in her mouth. We had to give her a pad and paper to get her to communicate. Oh. Hmm. Gregina, come on. It's not every day someone's family joins a splinter anarchist group and tries to kill them on their wedding day. The least you can do is tell me why. Okay, let's try this. I'll ask you something, and you just write it down on that pad there and show it back to me, okay? Where are the red throats hiding? Are they spreading from this city? Are they at home? No? Okay. What is their next move? What is your name? How many fingers am I holding up? You know, I'm not even mad. You almost killed me, almost ruined my wedding, almost threw our family name into the backed-up toilet of history. But there it is. Almost. You can't finish anything. If the people ever elected you, 
you'd lose because you accidentally voted twice. Almost. Almost got me. But not this time. Not ever. I'm named after you. Why do you think I hate you? Sir, we can't find your husband anywhere. And the three from the party, they're gone too. What? Uh, Gregina, I'll see you soon. I promise. All right, guards, with me. Let's go get my husband back. Join the Party is brought to you by Brandon Grugel, Amanda McLaughlin, Michael Fache, and me, Eric Silver. I am your host and game master. Brandon edits, mixes, and scores the show. Amanda manages our community and our digital life. And Michael archives, manual checks, and cartographs our world. Special thanks to our creative consultants, Connor McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Hetty Hunt. The party doesn't stop here. The day after every episode comes out, we publish the after party where we sit down to discuss what just happened and learn what could have happened. Send us your questions anytime. Join our community online by following at JoinThePartyPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We've also got every episode up on our website, jointhepartypod.com. And you can email us questions or stories anytime at hello at jointhepartypod.com. If you're enjoying this ride as much as we are, help the show out by subscribing to us in iTunes and leaving a quick rating. For even more Join the Party goodness, check out our Patreon. Just a few dollars will get you access to drawings, character backstories, bloopers, and so much more at patreon.com slash join the party pod. We'll see you in two weeks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Sweet flip, man. Sweet flip. If you want to learn more about the process, pre-production, and thought that went into making Join the Party, stick around for next week's episode, where we'll have an, where we'll have an interview with Amanda and DM Eric. Between then and now, get ye to a funnery and subscribe to Join the Party. They're Join the Party Pod on Twitter. Their website is jointhepartypod.com. Listen, subscribe, read transcripts, and get all caught up before the interview. Their site is a fantastic resource for getting started with your own game, learning about how Eric and the team collaborate to tell stories and develop mechanics, and listening to the players interview other folks from within the gaming space in a segment they call The Punch Bowl. While you are surfing the web, come on over to our place, radiodramarevival.com. Tour about, kick the wheels a little bit, and inspect all the new trim and wainscoting placed there with love by our very own Eli McElveen. Thank you, Eli. You do very fine work. Check out his delectable podcast, Alba Salix, Royal Physician, a fairy tale medical podcast sitcom, and its splendid spin-off, The Axe and Crown. What are your favorite D&D-style podcasts? Do you think I'm crazy to feature something like this on RDR? Do you think this is an intriguing middle point between improv and scripted drama? What stories do you think can be told in spontaneous collaboration that can't be told by one writer 
or even a team of writers. Join the party and join the conversation by adding me on Twitter. We're at Radio Drama. And now, it's time for some credits. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux, who plays our team's paladin. He soaks up the punches. He dishes out heels. He holds forth a holy symbol shaped like a waveform and uses his magic for the highest possible purpose. To prevent me from sounding like a jackass. Thanks, Matt. Our interviews producer is Eli McElveen, whose rogue character excels at second story work, which is to say, burglary. Unrelated, has anyone seen my collection of diamonds? Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau are our researchers. Heather plays a warlock, and the thing about warlocks is that they make a deal of some kind with a malevolent entity in exchange for their powers. Most people go for demons and stuff, but Heather got her powers from Comcast? It's actually super dope. Monique plays a druid, and once turned a guy into a tree for leaving a snide remark on her Goodreads account. It was awesome. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouse, the barbarian king of Mount Garbanzo. He sits atop a throne of skulls, which he has told me is not very comfortable. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. Verisimilitude, Jillian? I gotta sound all spooky-like. Like a dungeon mastra. Like a demon boy. Don't, yeah. Was it scary? Very scary. Like super scary? Super scary. Like on a scale from one to like, ah! Totally ah. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. Totally ah. <laughs>